Here we go. We are back. The next episode of The Laws of Hanukkah. Yes. Picking up where we left off. You're going to be heard in Kenya and in New Zealand with that yes. Is that the 12% year-over-year subscriber gains? There we go. <laughs> Shout out to all our listeners in New Zealand and Next Kenya. Okay, we're in Sif Tess, subsection 9 in chapter 139, Kisar Shulchan Aruch, The Laws of Hanukkah. Here we go. The, the, the lamps, the candles that you use in the menorah must be in a straight line. And we're talking height-wise, one should not be higher than the others. It should be of all equal height. There must be space between every candle in order that the flames of each candle should not merge with each other and become like a torch. If you're using wax candles as opposed to oil, you have to make sure that there's enough space between them so that the, can, the heat of one candle doesn't actually melt the next candle, which sometimes actually does happen. So make sure you get a menorah that is not too bunched together. The branches are, are giving each other a little bit of social distancing. What happens if you take a bowl and you fill it with oil, you surround it with wicks? If there's some kind of uh, utensil um, um, above, I guess, each wick, then each wick counts as a, as a candle, and that might work to, fill, to, to fulfill your obligations of a menorah. But if it was just wicks floating in a bowl of oil, it doesn't even count as one candle because it's basically a large flame and it's more like a torch and that's not what we're looking for. If you have a lamp, the olden day oil lamps, I think of the classic Aladdin genie lamp. So there's, in that one, there's one end that you can fill, you know, put a wick in and it, and it you know, will absorb the oil from inside the lamp. But if you have one of those lamps that's got a double, um, what's the word? Not a spout. Well, it's not a spout, but, you know, two, it's called two mouths, right? Um, you can't use that for two people to light either end. I feel a even on the first night. Because it's not apparent how many lamps are being lit, it looks basically like one lamp when you're trying to show that it's two menorahs, and that would not work. Sif Yud. The time to light the menorah is immediately upon nightfall, and you should not delay. Once nighttime hits, you are forbidden from doing any kind of work and any kind of other um, occupation, um, even studying Torah. Nothing takes precedence over lighting the menorah. As soon as it gets dark, you should immediately proceed to light the menorah. The only thing that could take precedence is if you haven't yet prayed the evening service, do that first and then light the menorah. Before you light, you must gather all the members of your household, either family, roommates, whatever it may be, whoever you're living with, in order to magnify and publicize the miracle that by, by lighting the menorah in the presence of more people, the miracle is, is magnified and publicized. Tzarek not magnified, but yeah, the, the miracle is publicized. Tzarek Lase, Shemen, Sheidluku, Lukalapakit, Chatzisha, 
you must provide enough oil or fuel, wax, that the lights should burn for at the very least a half an hour. Um, at this point, let me mention that there are candles on the market that are barely, barely, barely cutting the mustard on this. And you want to try your best to get slightly longer candles that um, that will certainly burn past the half hour mark. Like the classic Hanukkah box of, of, of multicolored candles is on a good day without Anybody blowing by without any heat melting the wax, just, just, just. It's really tight. Um, try to get longer candles if you can. And in the event that you did not light right away at nightfall, beginning of the night, which obviously during the in, in this part of the world, um, during the week of Hanukkah, it gets dark pretty early. Right, so whatever the time is during the week of Hanukkah, around here it'll probably be sometime after five, five fifteen, five twenty, something like that. If you look in the calendar, um, that's when you need to light it. And if you didn't make it that time, you could light later, um, even reciting a bracha, as long as your household is awake. If you're the only one awake, and um, let's say you you happen to be interested in lighting the menorah at uh, at three a.m., nobody's around. At that point, there is no more publicity of the miracle. The miracle of Hanukkah is not being publicized to anyone because everybody's sleeping. So therefore, what you should do is light the menorah, but don't say a bracha. If you know you're going to have a very busy night, you have two exams and a final, and you're not going to be able to light the menorah that night, what could you do? You're allowed to, in such a case actually bump it back and light earlier from any time from Plag HaMincha. Plag HaMincha is the time between um, Mincha, Ketana, and Shkia. Um, for English Press 1. It's a time in the late afternoon. It varies. You have to look it up. It's called Plag for short. Um, and from Plag, in the event you know, it's, it's conditional. If you know that you won't be able under any circumstances to light at night, then, as opposed to not lighting at all, you can light from plug. Which is basically um, an hour and a quarter of halachic hours before nightfall. Um, we'll skip the bracket. In the case when you're lighting early, what you need to do is add enough oil or use really long candles because it still has to burn for half an hour after nightfall. You're now bumming it back an hour and change before nightfall. So what you need to do is add oil or use bigger candles, like you could use Shabbat candles, let's say, just you know, strategizing, problem solving here. You need to light early, and you need the candles to last a while, and your Hanukkah candles are going to last barely half an hour, 45 minutes, and now you're lighting an hour and a quarter, let's say, or an hour and a half before nightfall. And it needs to burn. So you need two hours of burn time. Take Shabbat candles. Nothing wrong with that. In a pinch, it'll do. They're thicker candles, and usually they'll last at least two hours. And that'll be that. If the candles do not burn for half an hour after dark, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. You basically lit, lit candles um, during the day. I mean, it's nice of you. Candles are cute. But you haven't done the mitzvah of lighting the menorah of Hanukkah. There has to be that the menorah candles burn from nightfall for half an hour minimum. So if you're lighting early, make sure that there's enough fuel to keep them going that way. Uh, any questions? Comments?
Yeah. But if you light them before before Tzedakah Chavim and then you leave because you're going to be busy that night, right? then nobody will see them. And then what about the, 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 pure, the, the Prisumi Nisa? Presumably lighting them whenever you light them is when you have the Prisumi Nisa. The fact that there's no Prisumi Nisa after nightfall isn't critical. Um, you know, today is Hanukkah, tomorrow is Hanukkah. It's still Hanukkah. The miracle of Hanukkah is an eight-day saga. You could have Prisumi Nisa you know, in the late afternoon as well. Um, but, uh, but they have to burn at least a half an hour after dark. Great question. The order of lighting, according to our custom. The first night you light the candle that is on your right. On the second night you add a candle on the left of that. And, and, and so on, every night you add another candle to the left. And the one that you're adding, the newest candle, gets lit first, and then you continue lighting towards the right of the menorah. I'm pretty sure this is everybody's custom. So, I mean, he says our custom, maybe at one point there was uh, somebody who, who did things differently. Fine, what I don't Shammai know. says, he's, Shammai says you turn down. Shammai says start with eight and then work your way down yes, seven, eight, nine, yeah, yeah. seven, you know, eight, eight, seven, six, five, and so on. He's not talking about the order, the, the, the direction. Yeah. He's just saying, you know, do you start with one? Do you start with eight? Um, anyway, so yeah, that's how we do it. I'm pretty sure that's universal. The Echoes will correct me if, uh, <laughs> if, if the Germans, if the Germans have a different custom. Speak up now. Okay, Yud Beis twelve. The first night, whoever is lighting menorah makes three blessings. Ner Shulchanaka or Ner Chanaka, according to your Nusach, the, the blessing for lighting the menorah, Sha'asa Nisim, the blessing for miracles, and Shehechianu, the blessing for being alive and making it to this once a year mitzvah. That's on the first night. And the rest of the nights of Chanukah, you do not recite Shehechianu. Um, I will add here, it doesn't mention here, but for someone who is, for whatever reason, did not light the menorah on the first night, let's say they only get the menorah and candles on the third night. So that would be the first time you're lighting that year. You would say Shehechayanu then. So Shehechayanu is not limited to the first day. It's limited to the first time that you're lighting the menorah that Hanukkah. And if it happens to be on the third day or whatever day, you would say Shehechayanu then and then not insert Shehechayanu again for the rest of Hanukkah. Well, well, forgot to say Shehechayanu, but you did light? Then you wouldn't say Shehechayanu again. Really? Yeah. No, you only say Shehechayanu the first time you're lighting. If you forgot Shehechayanu then, then that's it. Wait till next year. Um, after you've made, after you recited the blessings, you start lighting. Um, and as you, light, you start lighting the first candle, and as you light in the rest, you recite Haneris Halalu, the uh, the prayer right after the blessings. Um, he puts it over here in the in the brackets and Shulchan Aruch Harav. The Alter Rebbe says, the Alter Rebbe writes to do this after you finish lighting all of them. So, slight debate there. Ger Oymer Sha'asa Nisim If you're a convert, you, you say the end of the blessing instead of Sha'asa Nisim Laviseinu, thanking God for performing miracles for our fathers, forefathers, ancestors, you say who has performed miracles for the Jewish people. If, however, a convert said this blessing, referring and referencing our fathers, Laviseinu, it's, it's okay, still fulfill the obligation. Someone who's in a state of, of aninut, which is basically the period of time from when you find out that a, a loved one who you required a shiva for, um, parents, sibling, or children, 
uh, or spouse, um, if, uh, if you're in the period between death and burial. So the rule is that, for the most part, all positive mitzvahs are suspended, and you're exempt from all those mitzvahs until burial. So when it comes to Hanukkah, ideally somebody, if you're in that state, ideally somebody else should light the menorah on your behalf, and you just say amen. But if there's nobody else and you're alone, then you should still go ahead and do that with, but without saying a bracha. Yud Gimel. Any questions? Yud Gimel 13. It is established. There's a long debate in the Gemara and the Poskim, but the bottom line is that the definition of fulfilling the mitzvah, of lighting the menorah, is based on when and where you lit it, not when and where it burns. This is a whole debate. Again, this is Kitzur, so he doesn't get into the debate, he's telling you the bottom line. But there's a debate about, for example, what are the ramifications? Perush. That means that the mitzvah is to light the menorah. And once you've lit them, and you made sure that when you lit them, they were, the candles were proper, they were in the proper position like we spoke about before, not too high off the ground, not too low to the ground, in the right place in, in terms of visibility from the street and so on, then, then you fulfill the mitzvah. Which the, the, the exclusion, the, the, the point of this principle is to exclude a case where if you lit them, let's say you lit the menorah uh, an inch off the floor, and then after you lit it, you moved it to a higher table, so now it's in a good spot. You say, oh look, it's burning. It'll burn for 45 minutes in the right spot. That doesn't matter. You lit it in an invalid position. That's when the mitzvah is determined as, as happening. So the determination of, of, of fulfilling the mitzvah of lighting the menorah is when and how and where you lit it, not when and where and how it burns. So too, if when you lit it, there was not enough oil to burn for the proper amount of time, and then you added oil post facto, it's not good enough. It has to be lit. From when you lit it, everything is set to go in, in, the, right, in the right position of, of uh, quantity of oil, position of the menorah, and so on. So too, if you lit the menorah in a spot where it's very windy, and it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to be extinguished by the wind, you did not fulfill the mitzvah. And you must light again without a bracha. And you don't get to say, well, let me just put something there to block the wind, and it's good. Because when you lit it, if we're going to, you know, we isolate and we say, okay, what happened here? Press pause on life. Right now you lit it in a position where it's not going to last half an hour. And that's invalid, so that you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. Because all based on the principle of Hadlaka Isa Mitzvah, it's called the lighting establishes and defines the mitzvah, not the burning. Rabbi, yeah. What if you lit it in a position that should la- it should last the required amount of time, mm-hmm. but something happens in the light? So a freak. You're talking yeah, about a, yeah, a, yeah. Okay. So in those cases, you just, you, just, you, you fulfill the mitzvah, and what you're supposed to do practically is go and, you know, if it, if it got a thing, you relight it, or you re- oh, reset yeah. it. Yeah, you yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, that's just to let it continue, you know, whatever. You okay. did the mitzvah, and now that some freak accident happened, go back and, and you know, refl- you know, your dog jumped on the table and, and knocked the whole thing over. Put it back together. Don't say a bracha. Just put it all back together and let it, you know, resume burning. But yeah, you fulfill the mitzvah because you did everything right, and yeah. that was the definition of 
when the moment of lighting happened, everything was said, it was good, it was done properly, you're good. Your dog, being a dog, you know, yeah. that's fine. Oh, here we go. Um, if you set it up properly, and something happened, some occurrence, they got extinguished. So, you have already fulfilled the mitzvah. It's one way to look smart, by the way. Look ahead. Ask a question. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, something happened, and they got extinguished. So, you've already fulfilled the mitzvah. And the custom is that you should go back and relight them. And we, we have an astringency in it. Even when you're resetting the menorah after this freak occurrence, right? your cat knocked everything over. So you're not actually lighting the menorah for the mitzvah. You're just resetting, right? Because of the freak. Even then, we won't use the candles of the menorah to light each other, just like we wouldn't do it first round. Use a shamash or another candle or a match or a lighter, but not don't light them candle by candle. Candle from candle. Um, During the time of the mitzvah burn, right, which is half an hour after nightfall, so from nightfall, the next 30 minutes, while they're burning, you're not allowed to derive any benefit from the, the Hanukkah lights. That's why we have the custom to place the shamash candle that we use to light all the candles. We place it right there next to the menorah, on the menorah. That if by accident you end up benefiting from the light, we can, we can sort of hang it on the shamash and say, yeah, you were benefiting from the light of the shamash. That was okay. And therefore the shamash must be placed a little bit higher than the rest of the candles. In order to establish a difference and a distinction that's not one of the candles of the menorah. And indeed... Why can you say that? What's oh, sorry? Why can you just say that, you know, it's as if you were benefiting from the shamash? We, we, we have um, other principles where we, like, nullify something when it's in, like, the, the minority, but here we're nullifying from the majority. The majority of your light is coming from... It's not, it's not, a, the, you know, I understand what you're saying. It's not so much the principle of, of nullification. We're not saying that the, the lights of the menorah don't exist relative, relative to the shamash. We're just saying we need to have some kind of, um, I don't know, safety valve for the, for the in the event that somebody would derive benefit from these lights, which you're not allowed to. So you have the shamash there, and the shamash is there to say, okay, you didn't actually accidentally use the lights of the menorah for your own personal use. They're not lamps. They're not there for lighting up your room and giving you something to read by. You have this candle there, and that that you can. I'm not. I'm just, there's probably a good word in English for this, but there's the like the scapegoat maybe, like the scapegoat candle. It's like okay, you use the shamash, fine, but it's not. It's not based on the rest of the menorah is not here, right? It's not that. It's not that concept. Um, yeah. Let's try that. Also, it, it says that you have to place it higher. I thought it was just that it has to be offset, like noticeably different so how else would you would you create noticeable I mean, difference for like you could either have like a large space on the same level for ah. example, or what we've done at home for when for friday night and needs to last extra long right we use shabbat candles we have his own thing but there's no slot for the shabbat mm-hmm. so we put it like next to it uh-huh. off to the side lower, off to the side lower plane, and then that kind of i see
I, yeah, I supposedly that would work fine. I think he's just saying as, a, as an example. example. I don't think he's saying it must be. Yeah, yeah. You know, if it was that important, he would say it has to be <laughs> three tvachim high. He would give you measurements. And he's just giving yeah. you an example of the, very commonly the way menorahs are built. Yeah. Menorahs are designed that the shamash is a little higher. Um, supposedly, I, I, I don't think that it would be a problem if it was uh, further down the line and you know uh, half a foot away from all the other candles. It yeah, yeah. clearly sticks out. Yeah. Seemingly... That would be fine. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here. Tesvav. We light the menorah in shul, not because we are fulfilling the personal obligation of lighting then, but because to add in the publicity um, of the miracle. And we say a bracha there. So whoever's in charge of lighting the menorah in shul will say a bracha there. Manichem b'kesel darim, they must be placed on the southern wall, umadlikon bein mincha l'mairev. And that's lit between mincha and mairev. In other words, it'll be before nightfall. Right? Um, between mincha and mairev usually is in twilight. Between sunset and nightfall. There's halachic twilight is about 30-35 minutes every day between sunset and nightfall. Um, after shkia, after sunset, it's not quite dark. There's still sort of the, it's called in halacha, dimdume chama, the, the, the vestiges of the sunlight are still in the sky till it gets dark, night. And that's inevitably the time that you're going to light the menorah between Mincha and Mairev in Shul. Nobody, is, uh, nobody fulfills their personal obligation of lighting the menorah by participating in the, or actually lighting the menorah in Shul. And you must go after you're done in shul and go home and light your own menorah. Mishu av velachman someone who's in mourning, the year of mourning. He should not be the one to light in shul on the first night of Hanukkah because then he has to say shechiyanu. And someone who's in mourning should not recite shechiyanu in public. Shechiyanu um, is basically an expression of, of, of joy, celebration. Yay, we made it, we're alive. And someone who's in a state of mourning for the year has to mute various expressions of simcha and, and, and joy. And this is one of them. You don't say shechiyan in public during the year of mourning. So you should not be the one to light the menorah the first night of, of Hanukkah and Shul. It's for the full year, not just the 11th. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Avel usually refers to someone in the full yeah. year. Um, Avel However, at home, an Avel, even an Avel, can recite Sheikh Yon on the first night. doesn't have to refrain from Sheikh Yon on the first night of Hanukkah. Uh, let's do one more. Women are also obligated to light the menorah because they were also included in the miracle. The miracle happened through women, and obviously the salvation of Hanukkah affected men and women equally. Just like we say the same thing in, uh, in, uh, in Purim and, and Pesach. Women were also included and, and benefited from the miracle. A woman is able to light on behalf of her entire family. If someone was, if there was a family that you know was relying on somebody to do the lighting on behalf of them, she could do it on behalf of everyone. Someone, a child who has reached the age of education, usually it's about six years old, um, is also obligated from the perspective of education. Obligated to light the menorah, and that's why we have uh, emoji menorahs and sports menorahs and Barbie menorahs and you name it. Summa 
Someone who's blind and won't be able to see the candles, obviously. So if they're able to chip in with someone and uh, participate in the cost of their menorah lighting. So let's say I have a blind friend. He's going to give me 10 bucks. He's like, okay, I'm chipping in with you for your oil and wicks and everything. And then you're going to have me in mind. We're going to, you're going to light on my behalf. That's the best way of doing things. If he's married, he might like his and his wife can, can light on his behalf. If he has no wife and he lives alone, and he doesn't have who to join in and partner with, he should have someone come over to help him and he should light himself. Interesting. Okay, and that'll be it for today. Stay tuned for the next installment of the Laws of Hanukkah. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to devote your attention to learning about Judaism, picking up some knowledge about Torah, and most of all, stimulating the next steps in your own spiritual journey. I'd love to hear from you with any comments, feedback, questions, challenges, rebuttals, you name it, to what you've heard in this episode. Please reach out to me anytime by email at rmg at jewishwaterloo.com. Have a great day. Bye.